welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about things in the scriptures that make them become more real to us. And sometimes topics where we're asking these questions because they are so real to us, because we believe that there's more power to be drawn into our lives when the scriptures are real. And we believe there's real power in the scriptures that they were given to us by the Lord to invite the Spirit into our life and to help us in our journey to be with Him again and to be more like Him. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and today we're doing an extra podcast. It's an extra short cast, so both extra short and a short cast. Uh, this is just in response to some questions I've been getting from some people, uh, some of our listeners, and uh, this, where this is coming out kind of late in the week, but I, I hope people will find it and find it useful as we answer a couple of questions. So, one of those questions has to do with where some of this happened and when some of it happened. And the answer is, we don't know. We assume that Noah started off somewhere in the Americas just because as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we believe that Garden of Eden was somewhere in Central uh, North America, so Missouri area, something along those around there, Garden of Eden and Noah, I mean, Adam and his family spread out from there. Now they could have spread very far and very wide, but they uh, start out there. Now, who knows how far they get? And uh, there are all sorts of questions about, was the earth all one continent? Uh, and then you get continental drift where they separate. And is it the flood that caused that? There's some evidence for that. We'll, we'll look at that here in just a minute, but possibly I'll have to say, I don't know, but that's interesting speculation. But I would guess at least a lot of mankind lives uh, there somewhere near where Adam started out. Um, but Noah, by the end of the flood, is going to ed- end up, as far as we can tell, uh, over in what we now call the old world, uh, probably somewhere uh, Iraqish or something like that. That's where traditions hold uh, that it happened. And there's some reason for that that we can look at in just a moment. But in the end, we really don't know. Uh, where the Ark lands or where that uh, civilization begins anew. Those are just some good guesses. So another question is, when does this happen? And the answer is, I don't know. But uh, I'll make some guesses and, and give my opinion. Um, and, but I want to emphasize this is my opinion. We don't have a doctrine on this. You have this traditional idea, the way it's kind of set up in the scriptures that you have like a thousand years for one time period and another, and they get to like 6,000 years. And then the 7,000 year is the millennium, which is like the, uh, the seventh day is a day of rest and so on. And so you have a thousand years representing a day and different dispensations and things along those lines. I think that is an absolutely fantastic teaching to all. What we have to remember is that the authors of the scriptures were not concerned with giving us historical information. That happens as a byproduct, but what they're trying to do is teach us and teach us using symbols. That's their primary teaching method is to use symbols. So it is more important to them to give us a system that has a series of symbols in it, like thousand days or thousand years for a day, and a day of rest, and then this whole cycle of the earth is complete, like a week and seven means completion and so on, and that we get this this millennial rest or a day of rest at the end. That's more important to them than giving us an accurate count of years, and they probably weren't capable, whoever's giving us and writing these records the way we get them, probably weren't capable of giving us an accurate count of years anyway. Probably just wasn't information they had available, and they didn't really care. What they were doing is giving us a symbolic uh, number. That would be my guess. I don't know for sure, 
I won't cry or feel bad if in the hereafter I find out, no, that was actually exactly how long it was, but I'm kind of guessing it's not. So if I had to give my best guess, I would say that between Noah and Abraham, we've probably got something like 10,000 years. I don't really know that, um, but that would be my, my best guess, just based on not feeling like I need to go with that whole 7,000 year thing, although I, I, I like the symbolism and I'm not going to cry if that's accurate, but I don't know that we need to. And then just looking at kind of what we know historically, that, that would make some sense to me. But really, it's not until next week and we get to Abraham that we can start to get some better dating. And we don't know even with Abraham the exact dating. So we will typically place him somewhere around 2000 to 1800 BC. Remember, he lives for about 200 years. So uh, that's actually more precise than we can probably do. But we're somewhere in that range. And it's not really until we get to, say, um, David and Solomon that we can get more solid dates than that. The Exodus we'll talk about, but we have to kind of guess on that time period. And we have a several hundred year range. We've got a several hundred year range with Abraham. Um, but that's uh, narrowing it down a lot as opposed to Noah, where I'm giving it a like 10,000 year range, right? So those, those are my guesses as to where and when. Um, as I said, we'll get another little clue about where in a moment. I wanna now shift to talking about some symbols that I think are important and are worth thinking about. And this is going to harken back. And part of the reason I'm doing this is there are some themes that we want to try and tie together throughout the Old Testament as we go along. Um, and one of those themes, uh, we won't see it actually playing out a lot in the future, although a little bit, but it's been a strong theme so far. And it has to do with creation. So you may remember, and if you, you haven't listened to it, you may want to go back and listen to a little short cast I did uh, with the creation where I talked about ancient Near Eastern symbolism with uh, the idea of creation coming out of watery chaos, that everything before creation is, is uncreated material symbolized by water or watery chaos. And creation is when you have something different than that, something organized, dry land that's organized. Uh, and often then we think of the creation beginning uh, as uh, the highest point, a primordial hillock is a phrase we used and that kind of a thing. So if you think of that in those terms, and then you think of what's happening with the flood, Basically, the Lord is saying um, mankind, because, and, and this goes back to some other ideas we've talked about, where we have most of mankind choosing to follow Satan rather than God, and those who chose to follow God were taken up into heaven with Enoch and his city, and after that, those who chose to follow God were taken up to meet uh, Zion and weren't left on the earth, so you only had wicked people on the earth plus Methuselah and his line, just so you could have Noah to save the world. So you have this little teeny, very, very small, like nuclear family, small kind of uh, group uh, that's righteous and everyone else is wicked. So you have so much wickedness. And we talked about that in other podcasts for this week, that the Lord is starting over. It's a rebirth, as it were. And you remember that we had uh, being the symbolism of being born again that we talked about last week. Uh, and again, I'd recognize uh, you, you or recommend you you listen to that short cast, and then we tied it into another short cast we did this week um, about becoming children of God. Uh, but this idea of rebirth and and the role that water plays in that, and and you know, baptism is the same thing. That that uh, and in some ways, that's this whole we go back to the recreative state, and we are created again or born again. Uh, and water plays a role in all of that. So the world is going to be born again. It will be recreated. And so it is covered with waters again. 
that that symbolism that ties into what we saw in Genesis one, where the spirit of the Lord is moving upon the face of the deep, right, uh, and upon the waters, uh, and so the waters cover the entire earth. But there is this time there is a created thing. There is something that's different than the waters, and that's the ark. And so if you think of it in those terms, the ark really becomes a kind of a temple because that dry land that first appeared, the primordial hillock, is a, a, a kind of a temple. And in many ways, temples are reenacting or recreating the primordial hillock or that, that dry land. And so uh, it represents a temple in a way, and temples represent it. And so in a way, the ark represents the temple. Uh, it's the, the created space that is dedicated to God and is a way to commune with God. Um, that's what it, symbolically, in a way, the ark represents. And then, of course, we have the establishment of the covenant that we talked about in, in the other shortcast that I did for this week. Uh, and the bow is given as a, a token of that covenant. And we talked about tokens and so on in that one. Um, that one thing I neglected to mention in that one is that in the Joseph Smith translation, part of that, that token with the rainbow, it's not just. So in the Bible, we get it's just about that God will not destroy the earth with a flood again. But in the Joseph Smith translation, we get that it's also a reminder of God establishing the covenant with Noah that he had established with Enoch, which, of course, is the same covenant he'd established with Adam and so on. That's part of what we've uh, traced in, in the other shortcast for this week. And we've been tracing consistently this idea of the covenant. We're going to talk about that a ton next week, but that it's, it's a token of reestablishing that entire covenant, including the covenant or especially mentioned is the covenant made with Enoch. Uh, and we know part of the promise with Enoch is that the city of Zion will come down and meet everyone again. So I think that's a great symbol that as you look at the, the rainbow in the sky, not only does it remind you we won't be flooded, but you can look up and say, one day when I'm looking up at this, I'll see Enoch and his group coming down to meet us. That's, that's wonderful and beautiful stuff. Now, we want to continue this kind of temple theme as we go along and, and talk about something else. So you've got Noah and all the living things and the dove and it going out and finding dry ground and so on. Um, and then they finally go out and, and note how they're commanded to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth in, in chapter 9. So this is Genesis chapter 9. They're told to go out and be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Again, hearkening back to this is recreation. That's the first commandment given to Adam and Eve. This is, is intended to help us understand we've gone through the creative process again. We're sending you out again, just like we did Adam and Eve. Uh, and so you're getting to see your same covenant and the same command that's part of that covenant. Uh, we, we have all that beautiful stuff. In uh, chapter 10, we learn about them going forth to different parts of the world. Then in chapter 11, we get some really interesting things. Look, starting in uh, verse 1, the, everyone is of one language and one speak. Uh, verse 2, uh, they come to a plain in the land of Shinar. Um, some people have felt like that is a, the cognate uh, equivalent of Sumer or Sumeria which is where we know some of the very earliest civilizations take place in the, in the history of the world, probably the earliest. Sometimes there's some date about, well, is it happening in Egypt before Sumer? Uh, and as an Egyptologist, it's hard for me to say this, but probably Sumer is just a little bit earlier. Uh, and so some people think that's where it's talking about. And that's in, in uh, Southern Iraq today, uh, just as you get down to the Gulf there. So that's where Sumer would be. 
uh, and that's where we find uh, not only the earliest bits of civilization, but the earliest large and complex societies that build great big things. In fact, you, you see in the next verse that they are going to make brick and burn them thoroughly. So baked brick, which is what we find in Sumer, we don't find that other places. And then they want to build a city and a tower. And uh, we find that in Sumer where they build these, what we call ziggurats that are designed to kind of help their like steps to go up to heaven and also a place for the God to come down and they have like a little room that they can stay in there and stuff like that. But anyway, this idea that they will come down um, and, and note that they say in, in chapter 11, verse four, after they say they want to build a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And then the reason for this, let us make a name. Right? You remember when we talked about Satan and we contrasted him with Christ, we had this in Moses chapter four, and God is saying, I need to send someone. And Satan says, send me and I will take thy glory and thy power and so on and so on. It was all about him. And Christ said, thy will be done. It wasn't about him. Uh, so part of the problem is how much this is about us and wanting a name and glory and power for ourselves. And they want to reach heaven, building their own thing in their own way for their own name or their own glory and fame. Now, think about that. This, in the end, is a false temple. The purpose of temples is to allow us to draw closer to God, to reach up towards heaven, and God to have a place to reach down to us. It's the meeting place of heaven and earth, where God comes down and we come up. Then, So when we build a temple under God's command, with God's authority, then that's a true temple. If you just say, let's do this because we think we can, and we're going to do it for our own sake, then you've got a false temple. And so we've had this temple imagery that we've been talking about with the Ark and the idea of covenants, which are part of temples. And here you would then have a false temple. And that's part of why they will be scattered and their languages will be confounded and, and so on. So that's, that's part of what is going on here. We're going to get just one other thing that is, is worth mentioning. We get um, Peleg in verse 16, um, and Peleg has sons and daughters. I'm looking for the verse where it says this. Uh, right now, I'm having a hard time finding it, but I know it says that uh, it's in the days of Peleg that um, the earth was divided. Uh, and there's some debate as to what that means. Some would say that that means they're divided into nations because of the way that the uh, languages have been confounded. And so you've got different language groups and that creates nations. And that's a very reasonable reading of that. Some have felt that that's a way of describing that the continents really shift apart here and, and the earth literally physically is divided. And maybe it's some of both. In the end, I don't know. Now we get to the end of that story where we get to verse 27, where you get the generations of Terah and Abram and Nahor and Haran and Lot. Uh, and that's going to bring us into the story that we do next week with Abraham and just so many great stories. And we have a number of podcasts lined up for you next week. But I hope that this podcast has helped you to see the importance of temple themes, the importance of covenants, the importance of uh, creation and of doing things God's way because we want to do God's will rather than doing things our way or the world's way because we want our own will. And it's my experience that recently I'm becoming more and more convinced that we are, without realizing it, we are being fooled by the world and we are doing things the world's way 
Uh, even sometimes we think we're doing it's God's way, but we're really doing it the world's way. We're way too convinced by the world. And in a way, that's building our own false. Anytime we're doing that, it, we're, we're building a false God or a false temple and our own Tower of Babel. And that's never going to work well for us. What we need to do is focus on uh, doing things God's way, approaching God the way he has asked us to with his authority and his power. Uh, through his covenant with all desiring to do his will. Uh, That's what we need to focus on. And it's my prayer that we will focus on that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.